Rick Madison, Rick and Friends, and uh, I have my good friend on with me, and and people may ask, Rick, why does he get tight rotation? Huh? Why does he get tight rotation on the Rick and Friends show? Here's the thing with Ralph, we can go down any rabbit hole, anyone, and he will have a thought, he will have a story, he'll have a person, and that's one of the great things about conversation is not dead. So, uh, Ralph Livingston, welcome to the show again. It's great to be here, Rick. I uh, look forward to the opportunity. Now, I was talking to uh, Dirk Van Hees uh, about you, and Dirk said, how do you know Ralph? And I said, man, there's it's easy because my son went to your uh, Pauline's daycare, and that's where we first met. And I always thought, this guys uh, he's got something going on. He's uh, very bright, clever, and, and some might even say uh, very interesting. So very interesting man. So today we have a we ha- we never have a theme because I think that limits us. But you have a theme which is uh, we do get cynical, we do get jaded sometimes. We might get a little bit uh, downtrodden, one might say, with our thoughts. And you, my friend, have said not to be, not today, not today. So uh, because I've had this opportunity a couple times before, Rick, I. I I'm not looking for things to talk about, but this did uh, present itself on a couple of occasions. And uh, to go from the general to the specific, we hear about housing affordability is a major issue across the country. Houses are too expensive. You can't afford to buy a house. You can't afford to uh, plan. Interest rates are going up and and, uh, the media is beset with negative news. And uh, I'm not to downplay uh, the, the challenge of, of young people finding housing needs, but I just want to share a story about a friend of mine who will go unnamed. But um, this individual came to not just any general town, but this town. He arrived in Kelowna five years ago, and he had a few uh, challenges ahead of him. When he came to, to town, he had zero English. He couldn't speak English. And he did what he had to do to keep body and soul together and found a job, rode to the job on his bicycle for miles uphill and uphill back all the way home as well. Uh, Worked hard all day and uh, impressed everyone who watched him with his work ethic and his reliability. So I met the man because he went to work for the same employer I worked for and she hired him because he was a a good worker and and reliable and he and his girlfriend over the last five years have worked hard and learned English and uh, have gone through the um, how shall I say the uh, the paperwork required to become legal to work in Canada, to meet the immigration requirements and work permits and and everything that goes like that. And uh, I just recently learned and was uh, astonished to hear these words that he and his wife had just purchased a condominium in Rutland. Which is a major feat considering we all hear how it's inaccessible and there's no way, but they've, they came from nothing Within five years, diligence, hard work, it actually paid off. The recipe isn't complicated. You have a dream, hard work, and add thrift. And people don't talk about thrift. Uh, They had to save money. He drives a nicer car than I do. But uh, I can assure you... Most people drive a nicer car than you do, Ralph. (laughs) It's a thing, right? Why would you buy a new car? So... This young fellow has come here and him and his wife had a vision and a dream and they've realized it and it's so exciting. It can be done. And no one can tell me otherwise. Like I'm not saying everyone has to be like him, and, and it, it, I don't, but I don't think he's an exception. He had zero uh, resources when he came here. No one gave him anything. His, he didn't have wealthy parents. His parents didn't send him to university. He came here with uh, an attitude that he was going to find work in, and, uh, in, in a country where he got to cap, keep a large portion of what he earned. And he worked a very simple job, and, and now he's moving up. He's moving on to a better job. Uh, his wife's got uh, progressively better jobs. And the labor market is such that, you know, it's, it's, the world's their oyster now. Like, they can pick and choose jobs they want. But I just wanted to, um, I wanted to recognize that, that achievement and that, young man.
So you just told the story about the thrift part, and, and that is uh, is not to be understated. I had friends that I worked at their Esso gas station. Uh, Peter and Jean were, uh, he was a mechanic, uh, and, and she was a wonderful, kind uh, lady, still is. And they bought an Esso gas station uh, by basically limiting what they spent money on. So they wouldn't go to movies. They wouldn't eat out. Um, they would plan rides around each other. Like they, they did seemingly just small modifications to a life, but they ended up getting enough money to put the down payment on this Esso gas station. So, you know, worked it, built it, sold it for a pretty penny. And then and it used to bug Peter to no end when somebody would say, well, you're lucky. And he would say, I'm lucky that I didn't eat very well for three or four years. I'm lucky because I shut down all entertainment, all expenses. I'm lucky. Like he, he would get noticeably upset. And I said, why does that bother you so much? And he goes, because it takes commitment. It takes sacrifice. You cannot say that I'm lucky if I actually had a plan and I worked the plan and I executed the plan. Like that's not lucky. That's just commitment. So, I, I agree with everything you're saying. It's a mutual admiration society here. Um, they have a plan, they're focused, and they stay on on uh, on the key. And uh, to riff on this a little bit, what I see, and this happened yesterday when I was talking to your associate here, uh, the people that get it are the unlucky ones. And I talked to my wife about this this morning. You don't know how good you've got it until you realize how lucky you are by virtue of birth. But well, we were mm -hmm. born in Canada, mm -hmm. uh, and people from all over the world go, we want to go there and have the opportunities you you were given, and you just assume we're natural. Right? There's, it's not the case, and it doesn't matter where. You pick a country, I'll tell you, things ain't great. I'm currently reading a book about Russia, and it's a living hell. Mm -hmm. um, you name third world countries all around the world, things ain't great, and people want to come here. We live here. But uh, I'll, I'll put a pretty big butt on that. They probably all have better airports than Pearson International. <laughs> <laughs> I've been to Pearson International. Wasn't that bad? Oh no! Try yeah. try now, my friend. Yeah. Try okay, now. So things have changed. So you you mentioned the word riffing. Yes, we're, we're riffing on this. Um, so in in your eyes, uh, and again, let's let's call it Ralph the life coach right now. Um, if you had advice to give to now, to a, a millennial, and, and you have a 15-year-old that you wanted to speak about, what advice would you give them? Because you've you've lived it, you're perhaps an advanced aged, uh, very young at heart though, really. Um, but, but what advice would you give to somebody that was, that wanted to, to have that dream? Uh, house ownership, perhaps, um, and, and be able to live a, a long, um, fruitful life, I guess. Well, I think the uh, this question has you you come to the heart and the core of, of our existence, and I've examined it for a long, long time. Uh, I don't have anything new to add. I think we should try to inspire uh, people rather than discourage them. And I think uh, there's nothing more powerful than a goal that it, you believe to be attainable, and it should be high enough that it's it's a worthy goal. So what I would tell a young person is uh, find out what you want to do. What, what is it you were meant to be? And there's all kinds of resources available for them now. The other thing that's astonishing is a variety of employment opportunities that didn't exist five years ago. And there's going to be jobs coming up in the future that we, we don't know about today. The world is a, a multi-splendored thing. But you have to know where you're going and how you're going to get there. And without a written goal, without a plan... Uh, you ain't going to get there. And I see so many people without goals and uh, visions. When when these immigrants come to our country and they want to stay here, they know what they want. And bingo, they, they, these things materialize. How do they materialize? Hard work, thrift. But they have to have a goal first and foremost. When they arrived here, they knew they wanted to live in Canada. It's that singular focus that is uh, is is truly, you know, it, it literally overcomes obstacles and and it builds continually. And I, the one the one lesson that I that I figured out over the course of my years, my young fifty two years, um, was incrementally uh, do something towards that goal every single day, and even even if it's just a like an email or 
a phone call or writing something out, if you're building something every single day towards that goal, you actually get closer to that. You know, every journey starts with a step, any that kind of thing. So it that really has given me a lot, which is even if it's 11 o'clock at night, I'm still going to try to build something for that goal. And I can turn the tables on you now and talk to you about your, to your listeners about you. I've witnessed your progress in this community. And I know you came here with not knowing anyone. And I know what you've done. And it's astonishing for me to see somebody make it in this town. Because I've spent my entire life working in employment here. Uh, my professional life is like 30 years of working training programs and dealing with employers and, and a lot of unemployed people who found this to be a really tough town. Uh, because everyone wants to live in Kelowna, everyone's competing with everyone. And it, what you just described, I, I know to be the truth because I've seen you actually do it in your own life. You're a self-made man. And there's very few people can say that, that they've, they've carved out a, a niche. Um, I keep thinking about, this is a bit of a stretch for people to maybe relate to, but, but it's, what I'm going to tell you is all true facts and true lies. Um, <laughs> The guy that was in the movie called True Lies is a man named Arnold Schwarzenegger. And if everyone wants to know about the power of goal setting and the power of, of having a, a plan to succeed, they should study his life. He came from nothing. He came from... Uh, oh, I read his book. but the pro So here's the thing with Arnold is uh, my aunt, who's a well-read, lovely woman, um, very witty, very savvy. She said, oh, but he cheated on his, his wife. And... and not to ever be forgiven for that. Um, and I think it, and again, I'm not, I'm not saying adultery is a good thing. It's not, but he, he did a lot of great things and he was just a muscle guy. And then he built that and leveraged that into something else. And I, I give him full kudos. I don't care. Like I, I know it's like the Tiger Woods thing. Like I, I don't really, he's a great golfer, horrible decision-making personally, but I still think the body works okay, you know? Uh, it's actually, when you talk about uh, Arnold and Tiger in the same sentence, uh, they both suffer from what I call the, the David syndrome. And um, anyone who's uh, been to Sunday school knows the story of David and Goliath. And he was a skinny little kid, and he took on this ferocious, fierce Philistine giant and slew him with a sling. He went out there with no armor and nothing but a leather thong and five rocks and took the guy down and cut his head off. It's quite graphic, the Bible. I don't know if it's a lot. Yeah, it's a real page turner, for it, sure. It, it, this particular story is. And he goes on from there to achieve the great heights of becoming the king of, of Israel, uh, uh, kingdom of Israel. But then he looks out one day and he sees one of his neighbors having a bath and thinks she's kind of sexy. And arranges for her husband to go off to the front and fight and be killed so he can commit adultery. So what I'm saying is, is that uh, there is a human side and we do have clay feet. Uh, do you want to focus on Arnold's indiscretions or Tiger's indiscretions or David's indiscretions? First they came to greatness and, and then they made human error, right? mm -hmm. hum and, and, which is often pride goeth before the fall. Right? They think they're pretty hot stuff. And they can do anything they want, and they're entitled, and they get into trouble. But that's, to again, to get trapped by the negativity of it. The, the positivity of it is that these are all three people who are no one. No one knew about them. No one gave them anything. And, well, in David's case, you might think he had some help. Um, and they stepped into the field of, of a battle, uh, complete unknowns, and everyone laughed. Everyone laughed at Schwarzenegger when he said he was going to become a, a, an actor. He couldn't speak English. Well, so they, and even some of his later films, some would even say he didn't speak English. He so, hasn't. Yeah. He hasn't learned. So they made him into a robot, right? They yeah. thought, well, this is perfect. But the man went on to become governor of California. Let's not forget that he set a goal and he achieved these things. So um, you can you can do tremendous things for any young person. I say, find out what it is that you want to be and write it down. Mm -hmm. And if that changes, no biggie. Just write down the next thing. Okay. So you talk about write it down. You write a lot of stuff down. 
I try to. Uh, and I, I find it enormously helpful. I, I see these quotes, and I don't write them all down all the time. But one of them was that no matter what your problem is, what, what is bothering you, any can be anything whatsoever in the world. Simply writing it down helps to clarify it. And there's this old... Um, well, I can't remember what, if you will, uh, psychology 101, left brain, right brain. Um, your left brain is the writing brain, it's the talking brain, it's where language comes from, and it's linear and logical. So if you write things down, it helps make them linear and logical, and then the right brain can go to work and come up with solutions for it on a subconscious level. And um, I've seen that work. It, it works for me, it helps me. If I have a problem, write it down. I have a good idea, write it down. And I love this line, I used to share it when I was working in the safety business. They talk about writing things down and, and making notes of problems. Um, the, the dullest pencil can record what the sharpest mind will forget. Mm. And it's an easy one to remember, but if you take your dull pencil out and write something down. And the other line I love on this regard is the biggest lie I've ever told myself is I don't have to write that down, I'll remember it. And people forget things. Like, it, it can happen. It happens more and more. The older you get, the more you... So writing things down just helps bring back again the, the focus and the clarity. That's why I talked about a written goal. And have it written down where you talked about having to look at it every day. Something's got to go forward every day. So I have a, a notepad by my bed. And, you know, you have that idea late at night. And you're like, oh, I've got... I, this is it. This is the answer. And then I get up in the morning and I read it and it is gibberish. Like I am telling you, there is nothing salvageable about this thought. Do you have the the notepad by your, your bedside? Yes, sir. I've, I, I'm known and people make jokes about this um, because it's radio. They won't be able to see what I'm holding up. But a three by five memo pad, which I wear in my shirt pocket and I won't buy a shirt without a pocket. No. Unless that, you're golfing. That, yeah, but that's your brand though. Well, it is. It's, it's a nerd look, but uh, I'm famous for this because I, I was self-diagnosed with ADHD. When I was at university, I didn't know when the essays were due, what, where my classes were, what time of day it was, where I should be when. And I went into the library bookstore, I bought one of these, and I use it to keep track of appointments. And, and there's a, you got to remember, this is in the 70s, everything's on paper. There was a huge corporation called Daytimers, and they did programming and uh, a friend of mine here in town had something called priority management. I don't know if you know Will Gao. Oh, yeah, Will. I mean, yeah, yeah. He sold these things. And, it, of course, I would say, well, I can buy them for a buck fifty at the... <laughs> but priority management was based all on the same same program, is, is you sit down, and when I do things properly, I'll plan a month. and I'll Because there's another friend of mine taught me this line called SUG, Seriousness, Urgency, and Growth. So... You can't do everything all the time. You have to pick something to focus on. So mm -hmm. what do you focus on? And his question is, is it serious? If it's not serious, you don't have to worry about it. Is it urgent? A lot of the urgent things aren't serious. Mm. A, lot of, a lot of urgent things uh, can be set on, on a back burner. And SUG, so what's G? Growth. Well, what is this problem going to grow worse if I don't do anything about it? So what's the potential for growth here? So if the potential is low for growth, it's not urgent, it's not serious. It goes, you know, on the, on, the, on the C pile and you focus on the A pile. So you need, I think the, the more frameworks you, I shouldn't say more, the more effective framework you can get. It's something that's simple, it's, it's portable, it's with you everywhere. It's the same size and shape as an iPhone. And you can do all this stuff on your phone now. I just don't trust them because they run out of electricity. I'm sorry. You said I was old. I'm here to tell you the truth. So what's interesting to me is uh, Jim Check from Cloner Now and Check Media and, you know, pretty good guy. Uh, not just saying that. He has a book called Mission Possible. And it's, uh, it, it's really um, a way to direct your thoughts about action. So mind, body, spirit, and then, uh, you know, some he, he's kind of collected some, some great ideas uh, on how to organize your life and put them in a book. And, and, and I have that book and I'm an advocate for sure. Any system you want to use, whether it's a vision board or sticky pads in your bathroom mirror or whatever it is, I mean, as long as you have one, that gives you a sense of purpose. What I'm always interested in is um, the 5 a.m. club. 
So I read that book. Robin Sharma, I think, said uh, at 5 a.m., if you get up and you're purposeful and it, like say it's 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 a uh, reading and then yoga and then whatever it is and then start your day before anyone else does you will basically get to you know to your goals a lot quicker um and i still struggle with that cuz i i mean i it's still light outside ralph when i should be going to bed and that's the part that's killing me um Again, what's new is old again. That that idea was thrown around by a guy named Earl Nightingale, and he talked about the golden hour, and that's the hour before everyone else gets up. It could be five, it could be six, whenever it is. But it's uh, it's hard to do, right? And another great motivational speaker, I just love this guy because he has such a squeaky voice. If anyone wants to have fun, go on, on YouTube, look up a guy named Jim Rohn. He's a motivational speaker, and he has a he wouldn't get on today in radio because he has such a screechy voice. And I don't think he's alive to sue me for saying this, but I, I admire what his message was. And he used to say, it's easy to do, and it's also easy not to do. It is. It's, it's often easier to not do. To not do. So uh, no greater and deeper thinker than Greg Allman, who was married to Cher for all of a day and a half, uh, used this line, and I don't know how he came up with it, but it was, I thought, profound. He said, the, the hardest muscle to ever work out is the muscle it takes to get you to the gym. So <laughs> Greg, Greg Allman, Jim Rohn had the same idea. It's uh, staying motivated. And there has to be a payoff to make you motivated. And the payoff is, is bringing it right back to our original story. Uh, you have a goal which is measurable. I'm going to buy a house, I'm, uh, a dwelling. It, it's... A place to call his own. It's yep. going to be mine. And I got a text on my phone. It makes me almost weep every time I read it. It's not much, but it's ours. Oh, my goodness. So we're kind of talking about great people, and, and some people probably wouldn't even know some of these great people if they walk by him on the street, Bernard. But um, a lot of people know this name, which is Al Stober. And uh, you've spoken to him. We're sitting in a building that he was part of building. And I was lucky enough to spend some time with Al and, and hear me talking about Al. <laughs> it's like we were sitting there. Uh, but, but no, Al, Mr. Stober, that's the way I feel comfortable saying it. Mr. Stober said, I, I built the first building not knowing it would be rented. And in fact, I thought it would just be one floor that would be rented. And then all of a sudden I started building it out, building it out. And more people said, no, I want to rent there too. And he said, it's it's interesting how the dream grew almost overnight just with demand. And he says, I, I'm not special. I'm, I'm not anything exceptional. I just, I did what I thought people wanted. And and that's, he's just such a, an affable, he, he was such an affable person. And and uh, yeah, so it's, it, it's interesting that we're sitting in some of his legacy stuff right now. And you knew him. I met him in 1977. I, um, I had occasion to meet Al uh, at work, and uh, we had a, a crew who was a winter works program building the gymnasium at uh, Green Bay Bible Camp. And there was a mutiny, and the crew didn't like the boss, and they all quit, and they wanted a new boss. And I was uh, responsible as the funder. We were putting up uh, money to do this. So they called me over, and I went over and had a look at the situation, and the boss who they wanted to get rid of wasn't happy with the crew and they weren't happy with him and he said i want you to meet this fellow he's coming here in about 15 minutes his name's al stober and al arrived and looked around the situation and listened to the complaints of the of the uh, mutinous crew and uh, explained to them that they were working for len and len was the boss and if they didn't like it canada was a free country and there was the road they could just head out and uh, that was the morning I met Al Stober, and he took the time and literally bent over and drew uh, a diagram in the dust uh, with his finger. And he said, this is how it goes in Kelowna, Ralph. He says, the, the economy goes up, it goes to the top, and it goes down. It goes up like a wave, and it goes down. And he said, the wave wipes out all the little contractors. And he said, they come here, they think it's a great town, they try to make it. The wave goes down. you got to understand that. And at that time, Al had construction companies, and I understand he was doing sawmill um, installations and things as well. So he's, he's pretty diverse by then. 
He used the same formula that the fellow I started talking about today used. He had a dream, mm-hmm. hard work, and thrift. And if you asked Al Stober, am I off the mark by suggesting that was your formula for success? He would, I'm sure he would say, that's exactly my formula for success. I've also been told uh, that he self-financed these buildings, like, like one floor at a time. You know? So <laughs> I, I love the story how he ended up here. He wanted to build downtown. City council wouldn't let him. He said, well, I've got this, this land use contract that I can build anything I want over. Um, he'd bought up this, this area. And they couldn't do anything. The, the council couldn't stop him from building these things here. So that's why these high-rises are here and not downtown. The, it's funny, uh, another Al Stover story. Uh, I know the Mercedes dealer, uh, Al came in one day and says, I'd like to buy a car. And they said, okay. Well, they showed him, you know, the $100,000 units. And he selected a used E-Class with about 80,000 kilometers on it. And he drove away happily. And they said, Al, you own most of Kirshner and, and various other buildings. And he says, no, this is... This is great. This is what I want. That, so speaking of thrift, I mean, he, he had a, a mind for value and he just, that's the way he was with millions in the bank. Mm-hmm. Millions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, he just understood the, uh, how you can, and he's not the only one. There's many of them in Kelowna, many uh, people like him that, that made it in a very tough uh, community. In the, there's intense competition here whatever field that you're in you i'm not telling you anything you don't know i mean you're employed in the private sector you have to carve out a living out of every day like it's not easy and uh you just have to be motivated you have to have a goal and 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 thrift comes it comes into it no one talks about thrift anymore especially in times of inflation it's it's not sexy no, it's not. It has no uh, uh, old-fashioned uh, Scottish virtues are, aren't aren't trendy. Okay, so you've you've lived here forty-five years. Uh, you've seen the basically the town really reinvent itself. Um, is there anything that you would like to still hold on to or hold dear that you think Kelowna once it loses that? It can never get it back, and and with this growth uh, that we're experiencing, um, you know, is there anything that you feel like, because it is your community, it feels like your community, is something that you just feel like we we should never lose this people, because if we do lose it, we'll lose the essence of Kelowna. The uh, yes, short answer. I have a, a pet peeve, uh, and I saw them. I saw the changes in this regard in the time I've lived here, and it hasn't been uh, a positive story. I, I came here today to talk about positive, inspiring things. Uh, everyone, I figured it out in 1977. I wanted to stay here and live here, and this is a great place to live because I'd lived in Vancouver. I'd lived in the north, and this was better in every sense of the word. It didn't have that the urban crush of Vancouver. It didn't have 10 months of winter like Dawson Creek had. So we've got four seasons and just a nice-sized town. 60,000 people is great. And then uh, everyone else figured out what I'd learned. And, I mean, it's it's, it's intensifying. It's, it's not getting – COVID has made it huge. People come here and go, hey, I can live here. I work anywhere in the world. I work mm-hmm. online. I'm moving to Kelowna out of Vancouver. and mm-hmm. I don't want to fight the traffic. So tra- there's traffic congestion, which I could go on about, which I won't. But the biggest uh, complaint I have with what they've done to the town is they seem to have a penchant for going after golf courses. Oh, the golf course idea. The golf course thing. And I'm not going to get into local municipal politics, but um, I remember a, a course called Mountain Shadows, and it was a beautiful course meandered along Mill Creek, and it was in the shadow of Dilworth Mountain, and people played golf there. Further up the highway, there was a thing called Marshall's Feedlot, and it was a smelly feedlot, which all feedlots are by definition. So in the infinite wisdom of the council at the time, given a choice between paving either the feedlot or the golf course, guess what? They paved the golf they course. Paved it, they paved it. Joni Mitchell told them what to do, pave paradise. Uh, on Gordon or Lakeshore Road, there was a little muni, or should have been a muni, a little th- uh, par three called Fairview. And it was a beautiful little thing, a bit of green in the mission, and they covered it with condominiums. 
Okay. Now there's reasons for doing that, and I believe that people should be allowed to use their land to the highest and best purposes. But the city approves these things, okay? So now the latest thing is Kelowna Springs is on the block for redevelopment as industri light industrial warehousing or whatever. There's talk about turning Michaelbrook into ball fields. And I'm going, uh, no, <laughs> just leave it green. And uh, I have a, a personal pet peeve about Michaelbrook. I know how often it gets used for a golf course. I know all the ball diamonds that are around there that don't get used. You go there right now, no one's using them. Someone's golfing. So what I'm saying is in the city's uh, 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 year plan, they need more ball diamonds. They need more golf courses. Now, and this is saying this in a town of 14 golf courses already, but let's, let's try to preserve the green. Okay, so you're on the golf course. And now again, devil's advocate here. You ready? Go. Golf courses, uh, pesticides, uh, the amount of water they use, like they're not great as far as an environmental. And, and again, as you probably know, I'm kind of an energy sector guy, but, and I'm a golfer. I love golf. I golfed on Sunday, golf pretty well, actually. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and so for me, golf courses are, are an interesting phenomenon. Do I think they, they help, uh, bring families together? Yes. Are they act active? Yeah, you go chase a ball, and some people chase their ball even further than other people because they have to go walk two ferries over. Um, and it's social, and it's it's out in the outdoors. It gives a lot, but but the amount of water and pesticides and weed killer and all that stuff. I I don't. And again, this is up for discussion. I don't know if if land use uh, if a golf course is a great example of that. Oh, I'm just biased. I, 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 <laughs> you just I I'm sorry. I, no, logic's not going to dissuade me from this. <clears throat> Whatever they replace it with is going to be as bad or worse for the environment. So, so they use water. So industrial plants don't use water. Come on. Um, the opportunity for activity really has come up during COVID. Uh, people couldn't play baseball, couldn't play soccer. So they want a reason to go out and have a good time, drink beer afterwards. They play golf. Hmm. And golf has seen a resurgence with COVID, like because it's individual oh, yeah, sport. Absolutely, it's, it's really catching on. We have a lot to offer other communities with uh, with our green spaces. Golf is is um, to use a really lame pun, the pinnacle of um, maybe it would be accused of being an elitist sport. We need soccer fields. We need green spaces. We need places where Canadian young families can be active. And it's a real danger in this town. I see everything getting paved, right? And if they would adjust at the same time the flow of traffic to accommodate this growth, it would be a little wiser. And I don't see any of that. The right-hand turn on Dilworth Road to turn into the new Costco gas station is the only change in traffic I've seen. Okay, so I want to get to this other story, but... I don't know if you know this on the Rick and Friends show, but we chat off air, and I don't want to lose. I, I don't want to, I guess, take anything away from the listenership because you're listening, and I thank you for that. And uh, and a story I have to share, and I shared it with Ralph, and and I'm I'm sure it cemented in in your mind was uh, my good friends down at Robertson's, uh, Grant and Ron, who used to own it. Now it's new ownership with Todd and Brenda. Lovely people, love those people too. But uh, Grant and Ron were prone to sharing a laugh. And uh, they, they said, listen, um, we're going to custom order something. I need you to go down to this other store and just figure out if this size is going to work and then come back and then we'll order it for you. So I did. And I went in the store and this lovely lady says, oh, my gosh, your foot. It's a high athletic arch. And so I, I took that for what it was, which was face value. And I went back to Robertson's at my own peril and I might have mentioned to Grant Robertson, uh, yeah, I'm going to need something with a high athletic arch. And he says, what did you say? Just hold on. I'm going to get all the people from the back to hear this again. And I should have <laughs> keyed into that. I should have keyed into the fact that he was going to do that to me. So I, I said, what do you mean? Like my high athletic arch? So from that point forward, 
I was known as the high athletic arch guy in Robertson's to great laughter and guffaws. Um, you knew the Robertsons very well as well. I, I shouldn't say very well, but I, I always enjoyed going to their store. And I have another rant, which is not for today. We'll save it for the, another time. But there used to be, in the 45-year arc of my uh, history in Kelowna, a lot of really cool uh, locally owned places you could go on a Saturday, like guy places. Harv Sports on, on Pandozi. And you went in there, and he always had the coffee pot on, and the place was full of guns and rednecks, and we talked hunting, and, and Harv always had coffee on, and you didn't have to buy something. You could just go in and talk to him and, uh, you know, find out where the deer were and where the fish were biting. Uh, going to Grower Supply downtown on a Saturday and wandering around amongst the brass sprinkler heads was a, was an exquisitely unique Kelowna experience. And you'd... It's not the same now. They moved it out, and it's a wholesale operation out on the highway. Um, the people that worked there knew their products. They were local people, and they knew what pesticides to use and what fertilizer to use, and it was just a wonderful experience. Very Okanagan. But one of the best was going into Robertson's because they were both there. There was there was a, a Colonel Sanders. There was Grant and his brother, Ron. And when you're telling me about a, a place that's family-owned, so they can't be fired, where else would you see a training program where your your customers come in and you mock them in front of in front of your own staff? You bring the staff out. It's like a skit from Monty Python, and and you're talking about it now because it was so fun. I was literally they really enjoyed going to work every day. I would go in there five years apart, and Ron Robertson would look at me and go, "Hi, Ralph," and I go, oh, "I can't remember his name." I, hi, hi, how you doing? He said, you're an 11 and a half. And I go, how could you possibly remember my shoe size <laughs> yeah. after five years? I don't come here that often. So it was a personal uh, touch that you don't get anymore. Well, That's, it's uh, yeah. gone. And it was so funny because Grant is so verbal and and uh, effervescent. And, and, you know, he, you can hear... You can hear him before you see him. And Ron was so quiet. He was the yin and yang brothers. And it was so fun. But again, Ron, so Grant would have so much time for Ron and vice versa. Like yeah, they, you got the sense that they were a, a, a team opposites. And one filled in this part and the other one filled in that part. And, and it was a beautiful. quietly worked together. It was a be- thing of beauty to watch. Go ahead and see them working. Okay, so it's it's random time with, with Ralph and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, but but that's one of the beauties of, of uh, great friends is we get to share these stories and, and that kind of thing. But one of the things that always intrigues me is when I walk around the community, walk around the neighborhood and talk to people, where are you from? Why did you move? And and uh, this couple moved from Toronto. And and they stopped in their driveway. I, I still remember the scene. Sprinklers on. It's like 730 in the morning. And, and they just have this smile plastered on their face. And they're looking at their abode and they're looking at us and walking our dog acorn. And uh, they said, isn't it great here? Like, isn't this fantastic? And I think sometimes we get we get pulled into the, you know, the news and, and what we don't have and what we could do better and everything else. But at the end of the day, when you drive around this community, it, it's such a great, beautiful place to live. And, and again, I hope my family my kids get a chance to live here, you know, when they have families and all that kind of stuff, because it, it's always done me well. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's, uh, and you talked about how to, to ingratiate yourself with, with the community. Uh, for me, it was a racquetball racket, mm-hmm. stepping onto the court and, uh, and chirping other, other people I'm playing with and just kind of, you know, hitting the ball around. It's, it's in tough to ignore me if I'm, if, you know, we're playing a game. <laughs> So is it safe to describe you as an immigrant? Yeah, yeah, probably. So you brought that immigrant mentality here, which is you—you you cannot ignore me. No. I will—I will do these activities. Mm-hmm. I, and, and and I would urge people that think it's a clicky town, which it can be, but I think if you if you go mountain biking or you go into lawn bowling or you go into pickleball or you go into any activity, but you do have to move. You do have to. And, you know, COVID, I, I still am very negative about what we did around that, but whatever. But I think if you have an activity that that is yours and that you're passionate about, it, it's, it's infectious. I mean, when you're all doing something and it's distracting because you're doing an activity while you're trying to build friendships, it's actually a very easy way, I find, to, to have these new friendships. Yeah. So, And it's, uh, well, it doesn't hurt if you're extroverted, but the thing is... 
it, it That's took, true. It took me COVID to understand that, that as a lifelong extrovert, member of the Extroverts Club, introverts aren't interested in becoming extroverts. So this came to me as a tremendous shock. I went, really? You, your idea of a party is one person? Like, <laughs> really? <laughs> so Kelowna used the term clicky, and I've heard uh, Kelowna described as clicky. And the problem, the, my analysis is, if you meet, and there's a lot of people in this town from Winnipeg. I, I, I have some very good friends from Winnipeg. They're all super outgoing. Um, that's because they're from Winnipeg. Yeah. In Winnipeg, there's not a lot going on. There's mosquitoes in the summer and wind and ice in the wintertime. And people uh, get their kicks from other people. They, they associate with people and they, they spend time with people. You come to Kelowna, the weather's the, the, the attraction, right? So you maybe you've got enough friends already. But I couldn't agree with you more. If you have an interest and you follow it, you will meet people. My mother moved here and she was um, quite cold-blooded about it she just went and joined newcomers mm. so it's it's you know uh, for another generation but it was there's lots of people moving here uh their spouses have passed away or whatever and they're on their own they want to meet people they go and join newcomers and there's a whole thing so if you want it it's here um i keep coming back to our original conversation today how about getting off an airplane and having no english like nothing it it's true like it, it's uh the feat of Coming here without English and being able to uh, purchase an abode um, within five years in Kelowna, which is probably one of the higher priced cities in Canada, and call it your own is uh, a huge feat. It is. It's amazing, and it just shows you his state of mind, right? Like, like he was he was going to make it, and uh, it's it's the immigrant mind that they've been coming to North America, uh, maybe unwelcome, but you know once once the cats out of the bag but people move around they see places they want to live and uh, uh, without any particular uh, skills or education or anything other than a determination to succeed now i'm i'm probably going to get in trouble for this but that's okay i there's certain people i i spend time with who see a, an obstacle see a problem and they and they almost get satisfaction out of going i'm going to figure this out i'm going to get around it so they see a wall, they dig underneath it, they throw a rope over, they smash through it, whatever it is. And I love traveling with those people because whenever they see something, which travel is a series of interruptions, it really is. And there's things that go wrong all the time, but the people I travel with go, oh, well, that's interesting. And and then they, they just figure it out. And I love that because that's, and, and a lot of business people I, I spend time with, they innovate. They constantly figure out new ways of doing the same thing. I love it when when I see somebody figure something out and and home ownership is one of them. But the other one is when my kids uh you know when people talk to me about what are your kids going to do when they move out of the house and they have to get their own place and I said they're going to figure it out because that's the one thing I've told them is I don't know what do you think and one of them is uh if you can't afford rent you get roommates. And if you can't afford that rent, then you get another roommate. <laughs> like, honestly, you just, and then you have to move farther out of town. But again, and and I'm not saying that certain people have, have massive difficulties that, that cannot be overcome. I'm not saying that. But I just love it when people dig down deep and determine, I will not accept this and I will keep going. I love that. You just described a, a situation that triggered a memory. We were... Uh... Dirt biking in America, we were in a place called Colville. Um, east of Colville, there's a, a wonderful array of trails, and they're all marked and mapped, and it's a beautiful dirt biking area down in the United States, Washington State. And they're welcoming down there. There's not a lot of rules. Just come down and have a fun. And we got in behind God's back into an area of blowdowns, and it's a bunch of pine trees that have fallen over, and they're stacked up higgledy-piggledy as far as we could see. You talk about travel and inconvenience. This was as inconvenient as it gets. And we got into the blowdowns and we got in far enough where going back wasn't an option. We had to go forward with our machines. We could have crawled out, but we let 
couldn't afford to leave our bikes behind. So somehow we had to uh, negotiate this mess in front of us, this spaghetti of, of trees on the ground. We had to go over them and around them and under them and over, just as you described. It was a literal challenge. And this friend of mine who was at 10 years, 11 years older than me at the time, he had a better bike suited for it. He had a trial bike so he could leap and hop over things. But we prevailed. We had no choice. We had to get through this thing, and it was it was an adventure. So the line that I, I realized after that happened is it's not really an adventure if you know the outcome going in. So you're going to get curves thrown at you, and you have to prevail. So I was reading through this uh, adventure magazine, motorcycle magazine book, and I think I told you the story, but I'll tell it again. Um, this uh, group of guys went to Guatemala. They, they did a motorcycle tour, and there was a kilometer and a half of the worst, muckiest, potholes and and bogs and swampland and they had to get through it because the road they were going on was just across the way and they had to get through this area and they said they went across all sorts of uh, terra firma like they went mountains and streams and forests and desert and they did all this traveling but the one aspect of their tour that had the most amount of conversation was this kilometer and a half of absolute hell that they had to slog through help each other and and push their bikes forward and they said to this day that is one of their richest memories absolutely and the same thing with the blowdowns like like uh we spent thousands of hours riding around various places and wonderful experiences and and great riding um, you and I have talked about riding the same place down in uh, in Pasco called the, the Juniper Forest. But the, it was the toughest challenge that everyone talks about and remembers, mainly because we didn't get injured or killed. Because <laughs> if it doesn't kill you, it literally makes it, you it stronger. It loses a little bit of traction when yeah. somebody dies. Somebody dies there, but uh, you always remember them. Uh, no, it's... Um, uh, it's just thrilling when, when you prevail and, and you get through. And it's really clear. The outcome is, are we going to, like, spend the night here? How is this going to turn out? You know, and, you, and I think it, because it gets etched in your brain in adrenaline, you're not sure if you're going to make it. Oh, yeah. And then uh, when you do? And when you do, s- sweet. <laughs> I've got a ride down there I should send you on. I think I may have talked about it. It's called the Radar Dome. And... It's a double black diamond ski hill down, imagine, and you go up it on your bike. And I made it up this thing. I, I mean, just gnarly, literally straight up. And, and, and there's no letting up. Like you get on it and you, you get so far in, you can't go back down. You got to no. go up. Well, I, I, I got a launch oh. point here. Three, two, one. So you, you speak about um, the challenge and, and you're not sure of the outcome. But what I noticed when you were talking about Pasco, and and this is, uh, yes, I'm an advocate for uh, machines or different things of activities for kids so that they can troubleshoot and figure things out. When when Tess, my daughter, uh, was falling down every 10 feet in Pasco on the sand because her tires are really thin and the traction wasn't there, she really battled through that. And and I saw tears and I saw a lot of anger (laughs) and frustration. But then... Um, as she got through the day, I saw something switch and it was this confidence that you think I'm not going to stay on my bike now. Well, guess what? And she dug down deep and she literally just, just ground out the whole day and the next day. And at the end of that, we're driving back. And I said, I looked back in the rearview mirror. She's sitting in the, in the back part of the truck. (laughs) And I said, you did that. And she goes, yeah, I did. And, and I could see that level, that that scar tissue just added a level of confidence. Absolutely. And love that. And there's, uh, you're not kidding anyone. She didn't get a participation trophy. You you know in your heart when you when you prevailed, when you won against a challenge like that sand, and I've ridden in that sand and, and I know what it's like, um, there's no fooling around about it. You either can do it or you can't. And it could be as simple as going out in the lake and getting up on one ski or, or skiing a, a black diamond, a big white. You know it when you've done it. You, you, you've achieved it and you've got something, right? And you get that sense of confidence. And that sense of confidence builds. Uh, you get better, right? Well, I think it's the one gift we can give kids is independence. Mm-hmm. And, and, the, and the ability to have the confidence that you can figure this out, you can get through it, 
And you don't need my help. And they have to learn that. They have to at some point do it on their own. They have to figure that out. And and uh, um, to see a young person that's this accomplished, and it's amazing what kids can do that people don't don't set them up for it uh, these days like they used to. Um, you know, we could go on all day about it. youth, but uh, they have such astonishing potential, and they don't know it until they try them. Do you think that it's uh it's probably easier to have a rougher childhood than a rougher adulthood. Because I think one builds the blocks for dealing with, you know what I mean? Like you have to face adversity uh, in order to figure things out. Like if if you breeze through life and certain people do, and you know, kudos to them. Um, But certain people, if they, if they really had a rough go, they are so much more well equipped, mm-hmm. don't you? Th- Absolutely, and you run into those people. Yeah, and uh, it, it builds character. My dad always used to say that the only good hockey players came from Saskatchewan because <laughs> they were tough farm boys. And uh, is it Sutter, the guy from Calgary with his six brothers? Oh yeah. Like yeah. if you didn't make the playoffs, you're on the tractor. Yeah. Right. Like it's just, it's just <laughs> yeah. survival of the fittest. And and you learn that you're not going to die, so you got to survive. Right. Like you won't. You know, and but the, there's this um, people know when they've done something well or, or they've done something at all. You don't have to do it well. You just got to get through the pine blowdowns, right? But it, once you've done it, you think you know that was so cool and we prevailed. We did it. We, we can we can do it again. Well, whatever comes at me next, I can figure out. And I think you need an attitude like that. I, I just read about uh, somewhere on Facebook today about some anniversary today of Thor Heyerdahl's trip across the Pacific Ocean on a raft made of logs and hemp. 4,300 miles. That's a long way to go. Mm-hmm. And how he navigated, I have no idea. He went from Peru to Polynesia. And uh, he was lost more than he was found, but he prevailed. Now, there may have been other guys that tried it when they died. We don't <laughs> know about them. Uh, but uh, it's it's a sense of adventure. And giving young people opportunity to learn that they can survive tough situations i mean you, you don't throw them in the deep end but you you do get them in the in the pool somewhere moving on reach the end of our uh, our tether here my friend uh we we're done but you know what as always time flew by time did fly when you're having fun and uh, it's always fun to come and talk rick i enjoy our, our our discussions and they make me think about other things that we can rap about talk or, or as you say riff Riff, I, I have to give credit on the radio to another radio personality. I don't know if he's ever used the word, but if you have a chance, you should listen to the man on, uh, and I realize I'm barely cutting my own throat here, but I should be careful about recommending one radio station from another one. Go ahead. Um, on CBC at 6.20 in the morning, there's a man named Chris Walker who riffs on music like okay. no one ever heard. He has a, it's his, it's his genius. It really is his superpower. And when he gets on a riff, it's it's a thing of beauty. Okay. I, I will give him a shot, even though you know how I feel about CBC and Trudeau and all that stuff. Well, but anyway, that's fine. That's fine. He is a shining light. And uh, he has found his uh, his thing, and it's worth listening to. I'm, one last quick comment. I was told when I was going to UBC or university at all, um, you should figure out who the greatest, the best lecturer is. It doesn't matter what the subject is and go to his classes. Right? It doesn't matter what he's talking about. Just yep. go and watch him. And this is what this guy's like. He's that good. Okay. He is, um, when, when, when he's, he's not always riffing, but when he does riff, he is astonishing. A one-man band, like literally. 